That's disclosure on Radio 3 F for you. I beg your pardon. That's what it says. That's <laughs> the title. Cole Porter's not got much to worry about. No, has he? he does not. What's going on? Steve Vines, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. Um, well, um, we've had. Uh, th- there's been a bit of news this week, but, but the bit of news which I suppose isn't news, but it is worth rehearsing, is this business with Donald Jung. Now, Donald Jung, as um, some of you will remember, did a job called chief executive, has been the most senior person in the administration in history ever to go to jail, has come out of jail. Or rather, he didn't come out of jail, he came out of hospital, because, poor thing, he keeps he kept saying, oh, I'm, I'm not feeling well. So he managed to get him half of his prison sentence spent but in hospital. Usually, oh, right, yes. I was going to say, you usually do that near the beginning. Yeah, well, he... Anyway. <laughs> so there he is, he comes out, and he talks about his suffering as though he's one of the early Christian martyrs. Actually, he's a convicted criminal. I don't know why people don't sort of can't get their heads around that that it's not it's not a sort of matter of opinion it's a matter of fact he's a convicted criminal so his suffering is um he's incarcerated for doing a crime i don't actually think that there's a problem with that but but he is entitled as he says himself to keep appealing against him clear his name and we'll see how that goes Mm. as matters stand he's a convicted criminal full stop and what's so extraordinary is as the second he he walked out of the gates, or as it happens, the door of the of the um, um, custodial wing of the the hospital, he, he gets back all his former privileges of being a, a chief executive, the bodyguards, the car, the pension, everything. I thought, blimey, can you think of any other job in the world where you go to you go to jail for a criminal offence that you convicted in the course of your work? Now you, you come mention out it, and they say, oh, okay, well, we'll. we'll Overlook that. But that isn't actually the point I was wanting to make. The point I was wanting to make is, let us not forget, Donald Jung is the godfather of the white elephant. Practically every one of these major, terrible white elephant projects were initiated um, by him in 2007 with his, you know, let's have ten major infrastructure projects and let's go through them. So you've got the bridge to nowhere, that's a Donny. There's the express rail, no passengers, that's a Donny. There's the Chartine to Central Link. Boy, that's going well, unless you want to go on a platform. That's going to be a Donny if it's which not is, Which is unsafe. You've got the Toonmoon to Chatlap Cock Link, which incidentally, I'm told, actually is progressing. Um, you've got the Lockmar Chow Bypass. Don't know what happened to that. Then you've got the West Kowloon... I mean, this list is just staggering. You've got the West Kowloon um, Cultural um, Hubble, um, which um, may or may not succeed. I think the words are may not. And then you've got... This is interesting. Then you've got the things that he initiated and haven't been done. And what is the difference between the projects I mentioned and the projects we're now going to talk about is the projects we're now going to talk about all concern bettering the livelihood of individual Hong Kong people. So they include um, the Kutong uh, the, the, the North and the Fan Ling North and the Hong Soi Q uh, development projects, which would all, if any of them had come to fruition, would be producing a large amount of public housing by now. And the other one of his... <laughs> I mean, there's such a frenzy of of projects he announced. The other one, the, the Hong Kong to Shenzhen Airport Rail Link. I mean, even even the bonkers people in the government decided that was too bonkers. So that one has been dropped. 
But it's interesting. The ones that went ahead, mm. without exception, the, one, the two that were completed are, of course, the political projects, the bridge, the rail link, the things that actually affect people. We're st they're still talking. In fact, this very week, I think the Fanling North and the Kutong North um, projects are back on the agenda. That's over a decade after they were announced as happening tomorrow. What's, okay. So, you know, I mean, it is, it is staggering. So, you know, I mean, he did go to jail for, on, on a matter of corruption or non-declaration of, mm -hmm. of interests. But actually, I think he should have been put in jail for, for white elephantism. I don't think there's an there's offense. There's got to be a name for that. We'll there, to make there, one should up, be, yeah. there should be a, an offense. I mean, this was, I think, in the history of the SAR, I know it's only two decades long, but in the history of the SAR, this was the most irresponsible and disastrous piece of policy planning that we have seen to date. And the consequences are still with us. I mean, you know, the the <laughs> the projects that that were included in this frenzy to create an enormous legacy for Donald Jung have without exception been a failure. Without exception been a failure. Has, I mean, has, Steve, missed any, has Steve missed any out? <laughs> Drop us a line, morningbrew at rthk.hk. Yeah, I might have done. I, I apologise. The only one that he wasn't responsible for, because that was initiated during Tung Chi Wah's time, was the other marvellous white elephant, the cruise terminal, which... Which um, is apparently heaving with people. Which is heaving with people. But I've now worked out how they managed to get those numbers up. They double count them. I mean, would you Adam and Eve it? These these little pesky wotsies. So that if you're if you come and return through the terminal, uh, you get counted twice. You get two. So so yes, boy, well done. You get the numbers up by doing that. It's like saying we'll solve the poverty crisis in Hong Kong by by raising the poverty line. You know, so we can chuckle these people out of the category of living below the poverty line. This is the same logic. So they've now got something like 700,000 people, they say, per year, passing through the, um, the... This is in the first 11 months of last year, passing through the terminal. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations on that, except for the numbers more like three or 400,000. Because mm. <laughs> if you count the same person twice... Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and then they go, you know, it's a major achievement. We actually managed to utilise it half of the year. Excuse me, can you just say that again? Half of the year, that doesn't sound like a great success to me. It's a great spin, though. It's a great spin. Ten out um, of ten for that. And and uh, can I mention two other pluses of going to the cruise terminal? You won't be bothered by um, any sort of nuisance shopping because the retail area, it's not sort of partially occupied. It's empty completely. The restaurants all close down early in the evening because there's no business. There's only five of them anyway. So, you know, this is in a space of 190... Sorry, 190,000 square metres. Mm. I mean, that's even bigger than my flat. Yeah. You know. Got to get mean, down there and see it. Everybody's going, got to get down got, there and well, see it. And well, then, then well, you say you've got to get down. How would you do that? I don't know. It's very difficult. <laughs> there's really practically no transport connection there that works. So, you know, I mean, I, all right, that's not a Donny project. I'm, I'm prepared to uh, fess up to say, you know, we, we, we've got little Tung Chihuahua to blame for that. But what is the common link um, connecting all of these projects? Number one, it's hubris. Number two, it's political crawling, because the projects which are swiftly executed, ex executed yeah. all involve ties into the mainland. And number three, it's total total 
um, what's the word? I mean, it, it's uh, well, as well as hubris and arrogance, the same thing. Now I think they're slightly different. It's arrogance in the sense that the little measly little bureaucrats who spend their days with their clipboards planning this actually do it for their own greater glory because they think these will be living monuments I mean. to their rule. Well. If you want a living monument <laughs> to your rule, which is a white elephant, and incidentally, I like elephants, so I'm, I think we need another term for this. The whole notion of people wanting a legacy, I mean, it, it's happened since time immemorial, but it, you're talking greed, you're, you're talking arrogance, are you talking insecurities? I, mean, I don't know. There's, there is something very troubling. So, I mean, this, this brings us neatly on to, if we had a system in Hong Kong where the bureaucrats could actually be constrained where the chief executive was actually accountable, some of this might not have happened. So you say, oh, but what about LegCo? Well, we're in LegCo this week with two major issues. One is the um, CSSA, the Comprehensive um, Blah Blah Blah, which is is, um, the government has said they really couldn't care two monkeys whether or not the majority of the legislators think that the current age limit of 60 should be shoved back to 65 because they've decided it. How did they decide it? They slipped it into the budget. They knew that under the new fabulous majority that they have of pro-government supporters, the budget would go through on the nod. The pro-government people who voted for it, and as Carrie Lam rightly That's pointed what she said. out, yeah. who voted for it, are going, no, it's not fair, we didn't read it. Oh, they did good, it on the nod, Steve. Good like morning. You're saying, like good just... morning. <laughs> if you didn't read it, you are sleeping on the job. There is no excuse for that. But they're now going, well, it's not fair. Well, it's not fair. I mean, it was a big document. I mean, you know, mm, how am I supposed to read 500 pages? Mm. I mean, I'm sorry, this ain't going to work. You are supposed to be reading documents. You are supposed to be there for the purposes of surveilling these things, for producing accountability. You... The same people who are whining and moaning about this are the same people who are voting for all sorts of measures to reduce the amount that legislators can question government proposals, are reducing the time for debate, are cutting off debate. And now they're going, but it's not fair. Well, there's another issue in LegCo, again, coming up either this week or next week, which is the question of the tolls for the three tunnels. Ah, go on. Again, you know, the government is, is in its usual arrogance, because, of course, if you're a bureaucrat and you never actually pay for anything, you don't realise what this entails. So in the usual arrogance, they're saying, oh, well, I'll tell you what, um, yeah, I'll tell you, here's a plan. We'll double the toll. Oh, sorry, we'll increase by 50% the toll for the central tunnel. We'll increase for almost 50% the, the toll for the eastern tunnel. And we will reduce the toll for the Western Tunnel. So the Western Tunnel will become 50 instead of $70. Which it was last year or something, well, until, year, until they yeah. put it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> two the, other two, the other two tunnels will be $40. Traffic problem solved. Except, of course, it won't be. Mm. And the legislators, I think, reasonably are saying, well, you know, there obviously is a problem with this. I think anybody can see that. If you've got three ways of crossing the harbour at three different prices, which is the current system, yeah. that clearly isn't right. And the government's going, well, no, we don't want to hear from you your proposal. You either pass us or you get nothing. This is the system here. 
Lechko has more or less no influence over these things, and they're now in a hump. The, 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 the transport department, you know, the highly successful transport department run by Frank Chang. I never understood there was problems in the MTR. Goodness me, nobody told me about that. That's your boy. That's your boy. It's the same boy who's doing this. He's going, hmm, right, well, look, we've made a proposal. If you don't like it, no, we're taking a pram away, and you won't ever get in the pram, and that's the end of the story. Bye-bye. Instead of saying... Tell you what, let's have a grown-up discussion about this. There may be another solution. Shall we see if we can reach an agreement on that? None of that is happening. Yeah. So, you know, this is the system we're stuck with. But the system has actually got worse under the current LegCo because with the new majority, which they've never had before, the pro-government people are simply tearing up the existing system of accountability. They're making it. They're actually, you know, it's, it, it's Turkey's voting for Christmas. They're saying, I'll tell you what, we're not powerless enough. Let's make ourselves even more powerless. Uh, that is called I'll Be There, 21 minutes to 11. Still in with Steve Vines. He has a little list if you'd like to add to it. It's morningbrew at rthk.hk. Well, this is a historical moment. Can oh, we yeah. have a historical moment on the programme? Thank you. Thank you. Um... The, the, the Brits, as some people know, have this habit of releasing papers after yeah. it's called the 40-year rule, after 40 years. What a coincidence. Mm. Um, and there have been this trickle of papers coming out about Hong Kong, which have all, uh, I would say, been very interesting. One of the ones that's come out recently, um, and of course, if you think about 40 years, we're talking about the period of the negotiations between uh, Britain and China over the handover of Hong Kong, which led up to the Joint Declaration, which mm-hmm. was signed in the 1980s. So what's interesting about these papers is that they show that at the heart of government, in the odious hands of um, the people around Margaret Thatcher, particularly Charles Powell, who was her... Or Pole, if, as, as, as if you're very posh is how you pronounce it, apparently, uh, who was her foreign policy advisor. And Percy Craddock, who had been the um, ambassador to Beijing and was also in Number 10 um, doing foreign policy advice. W- what, what's reflected in their notes to the Prime Minister is their disquiet over the leading members, the leading Chinese members of what was then Exco and Legco, particularly... Um, the uh, chairman of Ledge, uh, of Exco in those days, who was S.Y. Chung, Sir S.Y. Chung, and Lydia Dunn, who, you know, I must say, I, was, I wasn't here during the negotiation period, but I was here a little later. And, you know, we all used to think of them as the worst sort of colonial toadies. But it's quite interesting that internally, within the government machine, mm. they were actually regarded as rather suspect. Why were they regarded as suspect? Because they were always standing up for Hong Kong. It's very interesting. They, this is the point that Percy Craddock makes in one of their notes. You know, they're consistently standing up for Hong Kong. <laughs> As though, I'm standing up for Hong Kong, I've never heard of anything. So, can you imagine? I mean, let's fast forward to, I'll give a year at random, 2019. Can you imagine the same people, the, the chairman of Exco, the chief executive, standing up for Hong Kong? I mean, this is Hong Kong. Who's well, your favourite football team? Who's your fa- <laughs> exactly. The great acid test, in case anybody doesn't know what that reference is, this was when C.Y. Leung was asked, you know, if, if, if the Hong Kong football team was, was playing a mainland Chinese side, who would you support? And he was completely stumped for an answer until he made that classic thing which all people who are footy supporters know is completely valid. He went, oh, uh, no, no, I'll support both. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine a football crowd chanting there? You know, sort of an Arsenal Spurs match, saying Arsenal Spurs both should win. I mean, you don't really certain think pubs, that certain pubs in Scotland you'd get a spooning for saying that. Well, you, you'd you? get that at the Arsenal as well, and you yeah. get that at, the, at White Hart Lane as well. So you know, I mean, it is interesting that that in those days when the system was. Of course, colonial. I mean, let's give it the label that, that it rightly deserves. Yeah. And when the people who were at the apex of that system from the local communities, which the Brits would patronising refer to as locals, yeah. the locals, it turns out, had a bit of spine, which we didn't suspect. More spine than the current toad is in, in the new colonial system, where, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just staggering how little... The people who run Hong Kong are prepared to stand up for Hong Kong. I don't expect them. In fact, it would be ludicrous to assume that they would be belligerent in standing up and saying, you know, we, we reject all proposals that aren't entirely for the benefit of Hong Kong. I'm just asking for something a bit more moderate, like occasionally, maybe, sometimes, they would say, I tell you what, I'm representing Hong Kong when I come to you for talks and, you know, Carrie Lam is now more over the border than she's at this side of the border, practically. She, you know, she's, she was there again this week. She can't stop herself. Love him. Because <laughs> she's over 61 and she's still working. Oh, my goodness. Cheap travel. Cheap travel. She gets, you know, she gets the discounted fare. Um, but here's the situation where in the old days it does turn out that they were, in fact, standing up for Hong Kong. And highly annoying. I mean, it was something that highly annoyed. The, these papers reveal this. Highly annoyed the powers that be in London. So good on them. I mean, S.Y. Chung is no longer with us. Lydia Dunn, living in England, is still with us. So I think some kudos needs to go to those people. Was that because back then... Bearing in mind it was all the time that a lot of these roundtables were going on about negotiations. So somehow two and two equals 22, and that by look at stick, sticking up for Hong Kong, you're, you're rooting for China. Well, I, I don't know. Actually, I don't think so. I think they were genuinely committed to Hong Kong. I don't think. I mean, the point was that their preference, you, you know, the, 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 sorry, not preference, the preferment that they got within the system was all in the hands of the Brits. So annoying the Brits at this stage, and the Brits were vis visibly annoyed mm. by their activity, would would have kicked back. So they they took the view, look, I mean, it so happens that, that, that um, both of them come from backgrounds outside of Hong Kong, but they were living here, they were committed to Hong Kong, and I think they took their position quite seriously. Mm. and said, you know, we're Hong Kongers now, we better stand up for the place. This is a historic discussion taking place on the handover of sovereignty so you know we've got to decide whose side we're on we're not on the british side we're not on the chinese side we're on the hong kong side well it would be lovely to think that nowadays somebody in power would also take that view that doesn't it's not a it's not um it's not a situation in which you need to be anti to stand up for hong kong this is what's so weird about it they don't get it to stand up for hong kong does not mean you have to be anti-china or indeed anti-anybody else. I mean, this is what we've got with this new ultra-nationalist dialogue. You know, it's the sort of the Donald Trump syndrome, is, you know, you can only believe in America first, and that means screwing everybody else. Us. 
if you are a genuine patriot and a genuine supporter of your hometown, mm. which is the case of, of people in Hong Kong, it doesn't, you don't, it's not a, you know, it's not a, a binary choice. I'm, I'm in favour of Hong Kong and I'm against everyone else. No, I'm in favour of everyone else as well. But I will stand up for my own little patch. Where you are. Hey, is that difficult? I mean, is that, that's not a new idea. Take me There's back many to, people understand this. Take me back to where you started with this one, because you said they were considered, I think you said, a bit dodgy or something. What, well, they, did, what was that all about? Well, so so the point was that the, the negotiations basically um, were undertaken in a space of two years, although they were really, in reality, um, instigated with that first visit to Beijing by Murray McLehose, who was, mm. who was the governor. That was back in 1979, who, who first mooted the possibility of talking about the handover of power in 1997 basically what happened his he went up to beijing allegedly um to uh, it's funny how history repeats itself allegedly to open the railway uh, um as a result to talk about the the you know the direct rail link um going through the border which is the existing road link uh, rail link that goes from hong kong up to shenzhen yeah um he was he was allegedly talking about that but in fact the agenda was dominated by what's going to happen in 1997. Yeah. Which at that stage, if you think about it, we're talking about 1979, it wasn't that long away. It was only, um, <coughs> I'll work this out very quickly, eight years away. So, you know, there was some urgency and there was some feeling on the British side that if we don't talk about this, it won't go away. It will happen, you know, it's like Britain crashing out of the European Union. It will, it will happen in ways that we can't control. So they actually wanted to start discussions. And the Chinese side, extraordinarily, even in 1979, hadn't made any initiatives towards the British because the Chinese line always was that Hong Kong belongs to the People's Republic of China and there is no need to discuss it. So, I mean, there was some, um, if you like, concessions given in those talks, in the fact that they were prepared to talk about it, what completely blew Maclehose away in 79 was when he finally got to see Deng Xiaoping, and it was one of those things where woody 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 and it was all done at the last minute. Deng just had the plan. He had one country, two systems. Oh. It was all, it had all been devised, and he basically said, and we're not going to, this is what we're going to do. Listen carefully. <laughs> you are not going to have any role after 1997. There's no question, because there was some question there. Remember, it, the lease was only on the new territories. It wasn't on Hong Kong Island. So the Brits, ludicrously in my view, seriously thought that somehow they may retain possession of Hong Kong Island, where the lease had been granted in perpetuity, but somehow cede some power hmm. to, to the PRC over the new territories. And Dung just went, oh, don't be so stupid. Because <laughs> 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 the, the Brits were sort of saying, you know, well, we, we'll, we'll recognise that, the t we hope you'll recognise these, these treaties, and, you know, maybe we'll have a sort of um, guardianship role or something. And Dung just went, you know, with that apparently rather blunt way of his... I just imagine one of those memes that people send around. The caption would be, <laughs> not going to happen. Not going to happen, <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I, I, I know, because I've very heavily researched this, that the Mackley Hose came back completely shattered oh, yeah. by, by this meeting with Deng Xiaoping. And they were so shattered that, of course, it took another three years before the talks actually formally got underway, which was in 1982. And the period between 82 and 84 when these negotiations were, were being made 
the Brits really wanted to exclude and the Chinese wanted to exclude. This is what's so interesting. The Chinese side also wanted to exclude Hong Kong, a Hong Kong voice yeah. taking part in negotiations over oh. the future of Hong Kong. They said, we'll talk to the imperial power, full stop. They even objected to Hong Kong um, people being included in delegations w w w who were negotiating parts of the treaty, which, much which became the really. Joint <laughs> Declaration. So, I mean, China was showing complete contempt for the people of Hong Kong, yeah. a contempt that was merrily mirrored by the Brits. This is what these papers show. Daddy knows best. Daddy on. knows yeah. best. The grown-ups will sort this out and we'll let you know when we finish talking. Shut up. I'm, Daddy's talking. Yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant. I did want to ask you about all of that. But these papers, um, there's been lots of, uh, I don't know, releases of these various bits of pieces. Well, every 40 years, yeah. Very clever stuff indeed. <laughs> it is. I mean, incidentally, just in parenthesis, this is yeah. why it's so terrible that in Hong Kong we don't have any archives law. So their <laughs> official documents not only don't get released, but there's no formal way of collecting them under the law yeah and and there is a pressure group working very hard to try and get a proper archives law but you know in order to conduct a civilized society not only do you make sure that the record is kept but that it is in the end revealed to public scrutiny so scholars and members of the public can look at it and understand how history was made e even it's very important oh no kidding but you know what even your treason and blasphemy is like one year after one year it's gone. Yes. Brilliant. See you next week. <laughs>